All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your patience. Uh, we are now going to start. Um, the, the theme of, of this study has been uh, how may we serve. You can see that this is the this was the handout that we had, how may we serve. And um, we're now we're going to see what the scriptures say about uh, service. And we're going to alternate. The vicar and I are going to alternate on Bible passages. And he's going to have his commentary and I'll have mine and so on. And then we want you to have yours if you would like to also pipe in and share it with us. Can you see it from the back of the church, or back of the room there? Can you see the text? You can't? Okay, move forward. <laughs> we would try our best. We might be a little clearer if we could dim the lights uh, just a little bit. Yeah. That might help. It's a little bit less. We got to get our techno guys on it there. There we go. Is it becoming a little brighter? Does that help? Can, can you... More. See back there? Okay. More dim. All right. Well, we'll tell you what the text is, and then if you want to look it up in your Bible, that'd be fine too. The text we're going to start with is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Well, Lord and Savior, by your Holy Spirit, you have given unto your church spiritual gifts and that you have given unto us opportunities of being able to serve you. The command that you gave to your apostles to go into the world and to proclaim the gospel, that those who believe and are baptized are going to be saved, this we believe with all our hearts. And we pray, O Lord, that we may have the courage and the conviction to be able to be true disciples and witnesses to your word and to your gospel. This we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Okay, um, I'm going to start here. Um, as simple as it might be, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And I always like this passage. As the weaker partner, the vicar ran away when we saw that passage. <laughs> really and heirs <laughs> with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Um, we were um, this. Uh, we we think uh, probably this time in um, in our lives that the structure of families has probably come under assault, unlike perhaps any other time. But interestingly enough, I was reading a paper that my son wrote on the conditions in Germany prior to World War II. And what happened was, in World War I, uh, Germany uh, suffered, of course, a huge loss of male population. In addition to the fact that, um, that uh, these women uh, went out into the workforce. It happened in our country, too, didn't it? Where a lot of women were actually employed in the workforce. But in Germany, this was also a so-called enlightenment time. And um, suddenly, uh, women... Uh, I guess perhaps also perceiving that there was a way of being able to make a living themselves and such, that uh, the institution of marriage began to break down and uh, that 
this what we might call this uh, liberation, this no, the need on the part of women that they no longer needed a, a relationship with a man, that um, it also began to challenge uh, families, it began to challenge uh, the procreation of children, and there was a, uh, also a sexual liberation that took place along with this, that women could have multiple partners, that they could have different uh, relationships with different males. And it wasn't, of course, all women problems, but it was, it, it was a time in which the traditional structure of the family came to be under assault. And I, when I sent this paper back to my son, um, what he was pointing at in the paper is that some of these things actually led to uh, the factors that uh, also caused the rise of uh, Nazi Germany and led to World War II. And his comment, as he wrote back, was, I hope this kind of thing doesn't lead to World War III because he lives in San Francisco in the midst of what has become a very um, transgender, uh, I guess may, you might even say that, that, that the life in San Francisco is not necessarily conducive right now to family structure in part because of the economics as well. But it's a young person's world, a party world where people no longer need the, the confines of marriage. Now you say, well, what, what can we do? How may we serve the world in which we live? And very simply, the best thing that we could ever do for the world in which we live is to live our lives as a beautiful family modeling the relationship between Christ and his church. And we understand the brokenness that can happen and yet at the same time, whether or not, I mean, there are people who have gone through divorces. We have people in our congregation who have living as Christians, as people who are also victims of divorce. Uh, we want to remember too that that too is a part of our victorious life, that we can move on in this relationship that we have with Christ. And yet it is so important that, that children be raised in the context of a family with father and mother, sharing a common faith. This is, you know, so often today people will come in and they'll say, well, we want to get married. And I'd say, well, what's the faith of the person that you're dating and why don't you want to get married to? Oh, I'm not exactly sure. And you think, what have you been talking about? Um, so what kind of conversations might you have? So um, you say, am I serving our Lord? Yes, you are. When you raise your family, raise those kids, change those diapers. When you give this world a picture of Christian conviction in the way in which you live, your devotional life, your prayer life, you are doing a huge amount in serving the church. So I'm going to let our vicar take this uh, passage here, which is next, which is the First John passage, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Should we, should we read the uh, verse together then? Sure. All right. So let's all read this together then. This, this is, is how, how we know what, what love, love is. is. Jesus, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has, has no, no pity, pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear, Dear children, let us, let us not, not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
I think in, in keeping with, uh, you know, kind of this notion of, you know, the family model as an image of, of God's love uh, to the world, um, I think it's uh, important to see in this text now how, you know, really as Christians, we're all brother and sister to each other. You know, that really, you know, we are a family as, as the church on earth. Um, and that in doing so, within a family, there, there really is, you know, within a good family model, um, you know, sort of the image of, of mutual support. You know, where, where, where parents provide for their children, you know, ch- children in, in turn do what they can to support their parents, you know, do chores around the house. Uh, I think at the age of 12, I was already washing my own clothes and uh, expected to have uh, dish duty at least a few times a week. Um, but, you know, also in, in terms of, of giving of ourselves to others, you know, when we see somebody else, you know, a fellow brother or sister in Christ in need, um, you know, and, and having pity on them and, and, and taking their need as our own need, um, that's really what Christ did for his church. You know, he, he took our needs upon himself. Uh, and so, you know, uh, laying down our lives for brothers and sisters is really in keeping with this model that Christ has given for the church on earth to be of support to those in need. You know, um, having pity on people in need. You know, uh, do, do parents still pity their children? I don't know. You know, sometimes I think parents are too busy being friends with their, kid, their kids instead of actually, you know, uh, pitying their, their lack of understanding of the world and helping to guide them through that. Uh, but, um, yeah, having pity on our brothers and sisters in Christ um, and loving with actions uh, and, and in truth, not just in words. You know, there's, there's a lot of, of, you know, a lot of talk that goes on in church. You know, a lot, a lot of preaching, a lot of, you know, scripture reading. Um, and, and maybe sometimes we lose focus on walking the walk. You know, actually being the church rather than just being in the church. Um, so it, it, I think it's kind of uh, important to focus on, you know, the, the actions of our love in this family uh, and not just on, on talking about it. Um, my two cents, I guess. Interesting distinction, the di- difference between being the church and being in the church. The idea that, 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 that also uh, translates over into actions. I, I'll, I'll pass on the fact that um, those of you that were so uh, very kind to my wife uh, when she lost her mother. And we have a number of people in the congregation who have lost family members. But the kindness of your cards uh, were very, very, very touching to her. And the fact that you would uh, share with her in those feelings and those emotions and what she had gone through um, really just meant an enormous amount. And that's that's the bond. That's the kind of thing that we describe as love that really does build the body, uh, sustains it. Um, uh, Brad Williams also lost his father as well, and we want to extend to him our sympathies. The Silverbergs, uh, Linda Silverberg lost her father this week. He passed away. We've had a number of these losses, and that's just not, that's not the only thing. Um, it's also the way in which... Um, Sometimes people carry burdens that, that they just can't, they don't ordinarily share. And that doesn't just mean that somebody has died, but it, it's frustration, it's problems with children, it's being in the world, financial problems, marital problems. There are all kinds of things, and it's hard for us to be open enough to let other people know that we're going through those things. But that's what we're here for. We're here to be the body of Christ and to care for one another. Okay, um, Romans 12, uh, 1 to 8. This is mine, right? 
Okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, I'm going to stop right there just for now. Um, so you say, how may, how may we serve? To just say, by not conforming to the patterns of the world. You know, that's, what is the world? You know, they, how would you describe, you know, that we oftentimes use that phrase. You know, it's a biblical thing. Um, let's not be like the world. But what the heck is the world? How would you describe that phrase, the world, I guess we're speaking of it in the negative sense of the term. What is the world to you? Yes? Okay. A, very, a truth that is different than the truth that we get from God. That is both, then, therefore, moral as well as theological, that is to say the gospel of the world is a very different gospel than our gospel. For the world, their gospel is that you take away all law. You know, it's kind of like when you take a test and you bring your test up to the teacher and the teacher says, oh, we're not grading, everybody gets an A. That's the world's gospel. Our gospel is you go up and you get an F. <laughs> because of who we are under the law, and then we discover that God has had mercy on us and that he has actually maybe even taken the test for us, but he is, that we, God is gracious and, and forgiving for what it is that we failed to do. That's the world, the world, very different truth. How else would you describe the world? Chasing of idols. Chasing of idols. Yeah, things that are going to give them that wonderful thing if you once have it, you know. I, I, one person once told me, I really hope that I can be, be rich someday so I can be benevolent to my family. Guess what happened when he became rich? He, he was the cheapest cheap cheapskate I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Chasing after idols. If only I have this. That's the world. What else? Anything else? The world to you? The world seeks to be praised, right? All the time. Look at what follows after this, what Paul says. 12.3, together. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. 
If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. See, this is, um, this is you know, we talk about the worldly things. The, the, everybody in the world has some kind of, I guess you might say, affirmation that they want from the world. And you, we, we grow up, I mean, affirmation is a good thing, you know, when you grow up and your parents are telling you that you have good gifts or good abilities and if you do things well, that's, that's different. But uh, to think of yourself with humility means that there's a certain relativity to that, right? That in the end, the question is, how, is this being used to please God? But also this idea that so often judgment comes from uh, upon others, what we judge others when they don't have the same gifts that we do. So if a person is a good speaker, he could look down on somebody who's not. If a person is, is um, intelligent, looking down on somebody who might not have that kind of gift. If a person is prosperous and well-to-do, that they look down upon people who aren't. And sometimes in reverse, where people will sometimes reverse their prejudice and they will actually look down upon people who have more than they do or people who have greater gifts in a certain area. But this truth is one that is so startling that in the body of Christ, everybody has a gift. And when you think about that, the question now is, in what way can we use the gift that God has given to us in service to others. In my former faith class, when we come to the end, I, I, I do something that I, I think is helpful. And I ask the people, I say, what is your greatest weakness? And you know, of course, everybody kind of sits there and, well, um, well, and for, fortunately, they're with somebody like their fiancé or their spouse, and the spouse goes, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but if you take your greatest weakness, I will bet you that if you invert it, it may come very close to being your greatest strength. So if you are a person that is critical, it could be that you're a person who's discerning. If you're a person who is a workaholic, uh, which is a weakness, you could also be a great worker. Uh, if, you're, if you just take whatever it is, ask yourself right now, you're, you're a person who, um, who struggles, you know, who, who has a hard time being able to find happiness in life. Is it possible that you might actually be an empathetic person to those who might share in the same kinds of things? Every person here is a part of a spiritual body and every person is important. And that means, therefore, that whoever is not here is also somebody who is A, possibly not using their gift, and B, is somebody that needs to be served. So what Paul is saying to us is humility, you, you notice that what happens with humility, Humility starts recognizing the gifts that are in other people and depends 
upon other people. You don't feel like you've got to do everything yourself. Are you going to depend upon others for things where you are lacking? That's what the body does. The hand needs the foot. The foot needs the eye. And so on and so forth. Every person, no matter who they are, as baptized Christians in this body of Christ, is necessary to the rest of us. And if you don't feel as though somebody is needing you, then maybe there's something you can do about that. Consider how it is that God has given you gifts, okay? Uh, Vicar Debner, would you like to take Romans 15? Let's uh, read this together real quick. We, we who are, are strong ought, ought to bear, bear with the failings of the, of the weak and, and not to please ourselves. Um, the thought that comes to mind with this verse is, uh, is having a, uh, a sensitivity, I think, to the spiritual and the physical limitations of other people. Um, you know, we talked just uh, a minute ago about uh, recognizing the gifts in other people, um, but also having the capacity to recognize, you know, the weaknesses that other people have, you know, with that. Um, and, and in doing so, um, you know, caring for them in that capacity. I mean, obviously, you know, not everyone's going to be, you know, the best singer, you know, uh, you know, the, the best at, uh, you know, what it is that we're good at. Um, you know, perhaps maybe people have insecurities about themselves they bring with them to church and, and think, you know, how could I as an insecure person serve other people within my own insecurity? Uh, when we are sensitive to the insecurities of other people, you know, when, when we help to, to reach out to these people and help them overcome that, um, you know, that's really, uh, you know, uh, you know, not pleasing ourselves, but, but seeking to be of benefit uh, to the church overall, to, to serve people, you know, recognizing their weaknesses and helping them overcome that. Um, you know, I think of, you know, for instance, there's an awful lot of, uh, you know, elderly people who, who come to church frequently, more frequently than younger people do, which is you know, a surprising trend. Um, but, uh, you know, to assist people, you know, who are perhaps maybe, uh, you know, old with, with getting to and from, uh, you know, point A to point B, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, everything's in order for them. You know, having a smile on your face to brighten someone's day when they come to church. The, the, the littlest things, you know, being sensitive to the weaknesses and limitations of other people, I think is really the, the, the true capacity of care uh, that comes from our own strengths as Christians. Um, you know, Christ certainly had a sensitivity for all of our sinfulness and weakness when he died for us, um, and giving our, an example to us to follow in that regard. Yeah. The, um, this, this text kind of reminds me of um, when I was out in, in Utah, we had a member of ours who came out from Chicago. He, was, um, he had been a railroad engineer, and, uh, and he was about as rough and gruff and grumpy as they came. And, um, and, I, and you know, I thought as, as People might talk to him, you know, he was, <laughs> and you can just well imagine how it is that that was received. However, uh, as we kind of dug underneath the surface, um, it turned out that he, had, he and his wife had actually moved to Utah because he had a son, his only son, and this son was a policeman out there, and one day there was a, a fire and as a policeman, he was working with the fire department to help kind of clear traffic and such. And he went to jump on a, uh, on a fire engine 
and he slipped and fell underneath the wheels and the fire engine drove over the top of him and killed him. And he was living with this incredible pain that he had. And uh, sometimes I think what we call the weak are sometimes people where we do not see underneath the surface to what it is that might be causing something that we might describe as a kind of a weakness of character or a weakness of personal relationships or whatever it might be. But I think, too, I think, you know, there, there are always going to be people who just don't live up to our expectations, right? And we do have them, don't we? We have expectations. We want people to treat us nicely. We want people to serve us. We want people to be able to, to sing. Um, and every once in a while, there's a pastor that misses a note or two. Not me, but um, <laughs> I expect you to bear with my weaknesses. Too. All right, let's um, take a look at Romans 16. Uh, one to two, read it together. I commend you to our sister Phoebe, a deaconess in the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Well, you say, what can we do? How may we serve? One of the ways that we serve is by serving those who serve us. We have teachers in our congregation. We have Sunday school teachers in our congregation. We have pastors. We have vicars. We have secretaries. We have all kinds of people that have been, uh, been of service. Paul particularly here was talking about a particular deaconess who had obviously devoted her life to uh, the care of not only the apostle perhaps himself, but also to the church as a whole. And serving those who serve us, recognizing, helping them, encouraging them, and sometimes financially even helping them, these are the things that help to make um, the, the church go around. You want to take the big one here? No. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Uh, we're going to read it, or you, why, don't you, why don't you go ahead and read it? Uh, this is uh, 4 through 31. Yeah. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one of the manifestation of the Spirit, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another uh, faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. You want to t break it up and take that piece first? Why don't, why don't you? <laughs> you didn't assign this one to me. <laughs> I, you want me to do it? Oh, okay. Well, there I am. <laughs> sure. Um, the Apostle Paul uh, was probably dealing with what we might 
describe as a um, Pentecostalism in his in the Corinthian congregation. There, uh, in the in the temples of that day, uh, they would have priests in the temples who would go into ecstatic utterances, and then what they would do is they would do this. Uh, they call it glossolalia. It was that they would go into this kind of ecstasy and start using uh, this um, unknown language, a lot of stuff that goes on, which you sometimes see in these uh, radical Pentecostal services. And then there would be somebody who would then say, the gods are saying this, or the gods are saying that. And this is how it is that these so-called dumb idols would speak. They would speak through these priests who were into this 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 ecstatic utterance. If you, um, I don't know if any of you have seen, there's a new, um, there's a new miniseries out with Netflix that is about, um, basically about the Turks as they came into Turkey and took over Turkey and conquered Turkey. Big series, series. And, and in there they have uh, uh, these, the, these guys who are derves, dervish priests. Have you heard of that? And they, what they would do is they would go into ecstatic utterances, and then they would have visions. And this is our, a part of Islam. This was, uh, Islam also has this. And with, with the Apostle Paul, what he is trying to do is he's trying to help them distinguish between what happened at Pentecost and may have been repeated in other places. That is to say that the apostles got up and they spoke the gospel in the not just the languages, but it's interesting, the text says, in the dialects of other people. Dialects. That means that, that if you were a Phrygian, you heard Phrygian. You just didn't hear something that might be pure Greek. You heard Phrygian. And so therefore, there was a message that was being said. God's word was being proclaimed, this is prior to the writing of the scriptures, was being proclaimed in the languages of these people. And this may have been something that the apostles were bringing with them when they would come to churches and they would then, by the laying on of hands, they may actually have had people stand up and by the Holy Spirit proclaiming the gospel in a language that they did not know. But the apostle kind of puts a cap on it. If it was a language that they did not know, there'd have to be somebody to interpret and you can't interpret gibberish. You have to be able to interpret language. So in other words, when somebody, if somebody gets up and starts speaking in German, or he gets up and starts speaking in French, if there's nobody there to interpret German and French, they're supposed to sit down. But if they're speaking in German or French, it's very likely that, like in the city of Corinth, you know, there was a canal that was built all the way through from Corinth from one end to the other, and they had... They had temple pr prostitutes. They had a thousand prostitutes in in Corinth, waiting for all the sailors to come through on these, on, in this canal. It was a it was a, a place with multiple languages of people that were from all over the world, and one could well imagine that this gift of possibly being able to proclaim the gospel in the language of people in foreign lands was a way of being able to seed send the message of the gospel to the various parts of the world. Well, what did they do? They turned around and they probably started doing the temple thing with the silly, foolish, gibberish language. And they thought that what they were doing is that they were doing something spiritual. 
The Apostle Paul makes a very interesting point, and this, has, and this applies to all different aspects of, of our church. When the Holy Spirit is, is at work, he is always at work to edify the body. He's not there to make people into so-called self-important people, which, of course, this is what happens in the Pentecostal movement. Mary over here is now speaking in tongues. She must be very special because God chose her to speak in tongues. It's something when the church comes together, the body gets edified. So there is no gift given by the Holy Spirit that turns out to be something that will slap a person on the back and make them more important than somebody else. And so that's why when he says here, if these gifts that are given, that God gives, yeah, that's fine. You can use those gifts, and those gifts are always for the purpose of, of serving the body. And then he goes now into the unity and the diversity of the body. And I'll, t I'll pick that up. Just as the body, the one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit. In other words, we're all equal, aren't we? Nobody's more important than anybody else. All baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Imagine how radical that was in those days. Slaves were people. They found them in the city of Pompeii. Anybody been to Pompeii? Yeah. Good. Well, you, as you go through the city, you'll find that there's, there are little rooms. You know, the people were buried instantaneously alive in the city of Pompeii. And so their remains stayed there until they started to actually unearth them uh, under this volcanic ash. But the, the slaves were back in some room, you know. They were just nothing. They were just things to be thrown away. They had one little pool there where uh, they had holes in the pool and they had man-eating, flesh-eating eels that, were, that would live inside those holes. And if the person who was the the rich person who had all these slaves, if he didn't like a slave, he'd throw him into the pool and all the man eels would come out and devour the person. Wow, isn't that great? That, that's really, those slaves, they're really worth a lot, aren't they? Well, can you imagine, here comes a Christian church and the Apostle Paul says, slave or free, you're all the same in the eyes of God. You're equal. Yeah. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body every one of them, just as he wanted them to be, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Oh my goodness, how much more do we have here? Okay, I'm just going to jump on down here uh, to verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church First of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, that is a text which has uh, a couple of different spins to it because... Um, 
it could be interpreted by the, the, the way that the verb work, works. You are eagerly desiring the, not the greater gifts, but the showier gifts. That, you know, the, I, I, I always like to, to pick on the altar guild. Nobody ever gets to see what they do. They're the ones that are in there uh, filling up those little itsy-bitsy cups and doing all that kind of stuff, which, by the way, they wouldn't have to if all of you would just take a common cup. But that's okay. <laughs> you know, you know, or all different. Um, the, um, they're in there filling up those, all those little individual cups, and they're washing them out afterwards, and they're putting out all that sacred ware, and they're making sure that the, uh, that the, uh, that the altar is ironed. Man, I tell you, uh, the amount of time that Diane Coulson has put in that altar guild, I swear sometimes that, that she, she's an important part of the body. Thank you, Diane. I appreciate all that you do. And, but there are lots of other different people. I mean, you know, sometimes with these trustees, you know, like Mark Harris, you'd think that the guy lived here. You know, every time you drive up, his truck is here. Uh, back in the days of Howard Peterson, here's a guy who was, was just on site constantly doing nothing but working to develop property. Everybody has a gift, and it's timely. You can sit here and find out that if the congregation tomorrow said, we all need to move to Colorado. You ever thought about it? Um, we all need to move to Colorado. Somebody would join the congregation who has moving vans. <laughs> it works like that, that God gives gifts as the congregation needs these things. And so everybody here, everybody, everybody in the whole congregation, everybody who takes that Lord's Supper has gifts that we need. And the body, if we don't have them, the body lacks. We don't hear correctly. We don't smell correctly. Okay, Vicar, here you go. There's a, is this big enough for you? No, that, that's the same one. There we go. Galatians 6, how about that? Brothers and Brothers sisters, and sisters someone if someone is caught, is caught in a sin, sin you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for in the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's an interesting passage, um, you know, looking at, you know, the, the idea of carrying each other's burdens. Um, obviously, you know, uh, one of the hallmarks of Lutheranism is uh, Luther's idea of being simultaneously sinner and saint. You know, where, yes, we've been forgiven, we've been justified by God, and we have peace with God because of that. 
But we also have our sinful natures to deal with. We, all, we also have the old Adam within us, you know, making sure that uh, we know what it is we've been forgiven for. Um, and in helping each other bear that burden uh, really is, you know, that is the fulfillment, you know, of, of God's involvement in his church in, in bringing about this, this, this change in us in which we understand that we are one body, that we all have many gifts, and we all bring those gifts to service with each other. Uh, but we also have our limitations. We have the sin we deal with uh, and that we commit in that which, which, which burdens our minds. Um, and so to, to rebuke somebody who is, you know, uh, perhaps not living as they should, uh, I know there's been times in my vicarage here that I've received my fair share of rebuke from my supervisor for good reason, um, but all for the purpose of being, uh, you know, uh, better equipped going forward, um, you know, and the many years of wisdom which he has brought with him uh, to this place has been of great benefit to me personally. Um, but you know, th- there are times when we will need somebody else to encourage us in our walk of faith. Um, there are, are going to be times when you know we are not living according to the Spirit, perhaps, and using our gifts to the best of our ability the way that we should. Um, and and when a fellow Christian can lend themselves. Uh, to us, or we can lend ourselves to another person in that situation, um, that's really God at work. It's really, you know, the, the, the one who we are not uh, at work in us to make sure that we are strengthened in our walk uh, and, and brought to the fullness uh, of our faith um, in the proper time, uh, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I mean, I think we, we should certainly have a concern for everyone in the world, you know, uh, a concern for you know, the unbelief that the world is living in that uh, has not been baptized into the body of Christ. Uh, but our fellow believers, you know, if, if we can't be of, of, uh, of service to them, who can we be of service to? Um, are we going to spend our Christian lives just serving ourselves? Um, it, it just doesn't seem to be really in keeping with what we've been given from Christ. Um, he says can take, they can take pride in themselves alone. Well, to have pride in oneself, you know, for one's ability to serve uh, doesn't really seem to be in keeping with Christian humility. Uh, I think the, the, the better understanding there is to, is to take pride in the one who really is at service. You know, the, the, the spirit who gives the gifts we have that we put to service. Take pride in the fact that God is still at work in his church. You know, will still work through us in our weakness uh, and can overcome all the weaknesses that we bring forth. That's, those are my thoughts. The, um, the, uh, oftentimes in the, in the church, uh, well... If you, if you think about almost everything that we do in life, we say, what am I going to get from this? What am I getting out of this? If we call you up and they say, we'd like you to serve on the board of evangelism, board of fellowship, board of stewardship. Well, what am I going to get from this? And we think, well, maybe if we recognize that by sowing a little bit of... Um, to the spirit that maybe that there would be a benefit to that. I have to tell you that this last week, this is a theological application. I was watching as the garbage man came by and the guy put the garbage in the back of the truck, throws the can on the side of the, of the, of the walkway there, and then as he's getting ready, garbage trails out of the back of the truck. And um, so I followed the truck up the hill, <laughs> and 
I drove up behind the truck and I, and I went up to the guy who was uh, the garbage man and I was getting ready to say, what the heck are you guys doing? You just left some garbage back on the street back there. And I suddenly realized, who really, what would this world be if we didn't have garbage men? And is this perhaps one of the most thankless jobs in the entire world? And so um, as I was approaching him, suddenly the spirit came upon me and I said, I understand that this is a very thankless job, but you left some garbage back on the street back there. But I thought, you know, when we serve in the church, sometimes we do have to deal with garbage, don't we? A different kind of garbage. Sometimes literally back there. But what would the church be if we didn't have people who had the humility to be able to serve without somebody, I guess you might say, blowing a trumpet in front of them? The church is made up of those widows that give the widows might. The church is made up on those people who thanklessly every single Tuesday and Sunday come and sing with our choir. The church is made up of every one of you who come here and are part of this body as it gathers together in word and sacrament. It doesn't matter how insignificant you might think you are in what you do, whether it be in your secular life or whether or not it's here in the church. God does know and God sees. And when we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap to the Spirit. Now, I think probably, you know what, I th what do you think is the most thankless job in the whole congregation? The most. Now, don't say pastor. <laughs> it's not true. I, it's a very highly thanked job. I always thought it was the financial secretary. And Mike Dice is sitting right back there right now. And I think we should all vote that we make this into a lifetime position. <laughs> Do you realize the, the, the tedium that's involved in doing that and yet how necessary and important it all is? So we thank you too, Mike, for that. And Donna thanklessly sends people's cards in this congregation when they're in our prayers, thanklessly. Doesn't have recognition for what she's doing. She does it out of the goodness of her heart. So we thank you too, Donna. Let me go around the corner here. I'll just talk about what everybody <laughs> does. Yeah, everybody here does something, and that's what's, what's so important. All right, Viker, uh, we are uh, ready to close here. Let's close with a, a word of prayer, and I'll give it to you, okay? Amen.